0: good morning everybody good to not see you good to look at the camera and know you're there though <laughs> uh hope it's been a peaceful week hope Things have been somewhat uh, normal. That's such a ridiculous statement nowadays, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, One thing I know that's normal is the Word of God, so that's what we're going to jump into. It never changes its firm foundation at all times. So we're going to jump into it today. Uh, Grab your Bible, turn to Colossians uh, chapter 2. That's where we're at right now. Uh, Quick, as always, this is not church. This is us taking, well, it's me, taking apart the Word And kind of sharing the truth from the word with you tonight, we're going to gather and talk about it. We would love for you to be part of that. Again, especially if you're in the East Valley, um, Phoenix, East Valley, we're in Tempe. Uh, Hit us up, send us a message online. We have a website. You can go to numerous uh, social media outlets. and Just hit us up, send us a message and tell us uh, you want to join us or you're curious or anything. And we'll tell you how to find us, because we'd love for you to be part of what we're doing. Let me uh, bring us into the Word really quick. Reminding you again, as I do each week, of the uh, verse that's kind of our theme through this, Colossians 3.3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, Holding that continuous thought as we work through this. Colossians 2, though, is where we're going today. So Colossians two. Uh, I'm going to read 1 through 7, and then we'll jump in here, okay? Verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in the sp- in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. therefore, as you have received christ or excuse me, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Lord, I love you. Your word is amazing. Your word is awesome. I pray today as we look on uh, how to walk our talk, uh, Lord, I pray that that become the truth for us, for our lives, uh, starting with mine, that that the words out of my mouth are backed up by my actions, God, that, that that your love for me would drive my every step. I pray that for every person who looks into your word today with us, and I pray, God, you open the eyes of us all, but especially those that don't know you, that they might see you today and um, call you Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, I don't know about you. It wasn't really my thing, but I had friends this way. But when they were kids and many other kids nowadays, want to be a fireman. I think about this now, especially because in Tempe here, we had a big train wreck not too long ago, or this past week, and there was a fire, and it was close to 120 degrees outside already, and I remember thinking, how are these firefighters standing it? But for a lot of kids growing up, they want to be a fireman. And they've seen other firemen, and they love and admire who these guys are, and for them, uh, as they grow up, things, for some of them, as they grow up, things never change. They continue to see that some, you know, go into other dreams and aspirations, but some want to be a fireman the whole way. And as they grow up, they start to build this foundation that helps build them towards becoming that fireman one day. Um, it, it's a dream that they have, a vision that they have, and they start to work that direction. And until the day when their talk becomes walk and they become that fireman. They are that fireman. And then it becomes something that they don't just dream about, but something that they depend on now. It becomes something that's income, this provision. It becomes something that now others are looking to them for uh, and depending on them for. And even some that are dreaming of becoming who they are. And it's all something, also something that they never stop being thankful for. It's something that's a privilege now for them to have become this fireman that they always wanted to be. And they never really grow tired since it's been a dream from childhood of being thankful for that. All right. And in Christ, there's some similarity here because we're made new in Christ as children. When we get saved and we give our life to Christ, we, we are as children in the faith and the talk of our hearts should be Christ, that should be the passion and desire of our hearts, that we want to grow into him, that we find our foundation that we start building on is in him because we want to be like him. And and, and as we grow, our talk should become walk at some point. Um, It should become our walk and, and we look and we act and we behave as the Christ that is in our hearts, the ones that we talk, the one who we talked about as a spiritual child, we're beginning to now become and look like. And then that walk is something that we depend on, is something that, that, that person becomes in us, something we depend on, something that others look to us for, and something that we should never stop being thankful for, something that others uh, come to us, looking how how do I become that person? How do how do I follow through in discipleship? So today, uh, Paul is wrote this letter, and Paul is kind of explaining, uh, you know, though he's only with the Colossians here in spirit, he's battling for them. You'll see this here in a minute, but that the the fullness of Jesus that's in their hearts will be in their talk and also walked out in their lives by faith. And as Christians today, I think this is pretty obvious and it's overplayed, but it's really the truth that our talk should match our walk each and every day. Paul would say here, with with full assurance in our hearts, deeply grounded in his word, you know, being uh, thankful for his grace and fighting for the faith and discipleship of others. That's kind of what our walk should look like based on the talk in our heart. So we're going to just pull it apart just like that. The first little half will look one way, and the second half, or the first half will look as Jesus is the talk, and the second half is faith is the walk. Not to be funny, but it just worked, okay? Uh Verse 1, chapter 2, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. The word struggle there is fight. It's like in the sense of an arena, actually. Um, and Paul's spiritual struggle, he already told us what it is. It's in presenting mature disciples. Look at verse 28. That we may present everyone mature in Christ, verse 29, for this I told, struggling. So he's already mentioned what it is that he's struggling over. But what he goes into here is the struggle is for them. It's for them, and it's great. You know, lots of people love to say, Jesus, feel good stuff. You know, or post memes online, or uh, say hey, they send you a text, praying for you, bud. Or, or online again, they send you the prayer that you're supposed to pray and then forward to a hundred people, or all those kind of things. But how many would you say are struggling for you? Do you have money in your life that you would say is struggling for you greatly? And what I mean by that, you know, give you an example of what I mean by the struggle. Uh, or what he means by the struggle in a sense. I uh, I love the UFC, that's no secret. If you know me, I've been watching UFC since UFC 1. And uh, it's been kind of neat out here in Arizona. That's already been a point of connection, a way we've been able to make friends and hang out by watching UFC together with people we've met here. But when I was in Tennessee, was no different, gathered with friends. I remember uh, gathering regularly with Robbie Galladay when he was in Chattanooga still and uh, and sometimes since he's been up there in Hendersonville but back when he was in Chattanooga it was a routine and I remember he and I one of our favorite fighters was Clay, a guy named Clay Guida and, I, and this probably could sound gross but I called him uh Guida the Bleeder because he he seemed to bleed in just about every fight but we'll, you know, not to be gruesome, but but what I'm trying to get at here is that he never quit fighting. Like what was amazing about Clay Guida is that he never stopped fighting. It didn't matter how bad he looked like he was hurt. He just kept going. I can't imagine fighting the guy. And he didn't always win, but he never stopped. I mean, you knew you were going to have to literally drop this guy or it was never going to end because it didn't matter how bad you beat him up. He just kept going. No matter the personal loss, he just kept getting back up. And this is the level of struggle that Paul is talking about, that kind of battle and fight. He's not talking, Paul's not talking physically and bleeding and all that. He's talking spiritually, although physically in a sense, because he's in prison for sharing his faith, he's he's faced numerous physical suffering moments because of planting churches and sharing his faith. But here he's meaning in a spiritual sense. But that's what he's talking about. Well, maybe they're thinking, "Hey, Paul, man, how are you suffering for us? You're not here. You're you're working. You're toiling. You're struggling. You're 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 you're, you're doing all this for us, but you're not even here." How's he doing that? Well, again, it's part of the mystery we talked about last week of our unity in Christ. One suffers, all suffer. We talked about that last week. It's the same kind of thing. One celebrates, we all celebrate. In verse 5, Paul says here, we'll get to it in a minute, but just to point it out in the moment. He says, I'm absent in the body, but present in spirit, the sense is his heart's there. You know, we'll come to that in a second. Hebrews 13.3 paints a great picture of this. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people think it was Paul, but we don't know. But in verse 3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So put yourself in their shoes literally as best as you can. Feel the pain of their suffering. So let me ask you this. Remember, Paul's never met these guys. So who might be praying for you that you don't know anything about, don't know anything of, have no idea? Have you ever considered there might be somebody doing that? Like you have made a prayer request known to someone who's made it known to someone else, to someone else. And somewhere there is somebody actually praying for you, maybe even struggling for you. Do you know of any any situation like that? What about you? you say well i wish i had somebody like that what about you who are you praying for that doesn't have a clue who you are you ever pull out a list go online find a a church some churches in other parts of the country and just pray for those churches they don't know you they don't know who you are you may never meet or talk but you're praying for them then take it to the next level as paul did and struggle for them struggle for them. He's not talking, he's not just talking here. He is struggling for them. It's action. It's not just, "Hey, be well, guys." It's, "I'm sacrificing my wellness for your wellness." That's what he's saying. Look at verse uh, the rest of verse 1. He says, "And for those also, those at Laodicea, that we talked about it before, but that's a town about 10 miles from Colossae where these people are. And for all who have not seen my face, Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. So he says, for you, for those, for all, that there. So what's Paul saying here? He's basically saying that Paul's heart is for the Colossians to have an impact on everybody around them. Everybody around them, that these, that Laodicea who's nearby and whomever else, that Paul's not going to see. That those people are knit together in Christ. That they're knit together in Christ. Uh, listen to this in the New Living Translation. Uh, I'm using the ESV, but this is a New Living Translation. It just reads really good to, to get to the point. Think of it in terms of Paul's heart for the Colossians 2 have an impact on those around him also, or them also. Verse 1, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. The NASB, another very good translation, says that Paul's struggle is on your behalf instead of for you. It says Paul says I struggle on your behalf. It almost appears that Paul's struggle in that tone is that he's making uh, the struggle he's making is in support of their ministry being accomplished to reach that community around him. The mystery of Christ to the Gentiles, what we talked about before, Christ in them, in them, in the Gentiles, that they're able to make that happen, that is spoken to them, to all the people in that region, neighboring cities and beyond, people that Paul will never see face to face, but that the Colossians have the ability to influence. Look at verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. His desire is for people to truly know Jesus. You know what I'm saying? To be intimately connected with Jesus. Not just talk, but connected to them. The the hinge point of all of what I'm reading here is this talk of to reach there. To reach, in verse 2, the fullness of Christ, basically. To reach the fullness of Christ. And he describes what that means. That they all have hearts that are encouraged. See it there in the text? That are knit together in love. And that they are reaching or they're, they're in this fullness of Christ that they are reaching, is the full assurance of understanding. See that? Knowledge of God's mystery, which is the same mystery as before. It's Christ in you. all right. Same one we talked about. Treasure of wisdom and treasure of knowledge. What a great statement that is, what he says there. Reach all the riches of full assurance. Man! Think about that. All the riches of full assurance. Assurance of what? What makes that so rich? What, you know, what is assurance of what? Well, he tells you, understanding the mystery. What is the mystery? That Christ is in you. So the riches of assurance of Christ in me, or you might say the assurance of understanding salvation, that's what it means. Assurance of it. Christ is in me. I understand that. And there's assurance that comes with that. That's what he's saying. Listen to me. It comes from wrestling with grace. People make grace so simple and it's so not. But it comes from that. And it takes the wisdom and knowledge of God to really wrap your brain around grace, you know. It takes that to understand how far Christ came for you. How far Christ came to get this man here, to get me, and at what cost. Not just how far, but what it cost. And based on no merit in me, nothing in me that's worth that whatsoever. In fact, the opposite. I was an enemy and a sinner. Last week, I think I said sinner and enemy. Close by, a couple of friends said you invented a word, sin But either way, point being, that I was not looking for him, and I was not a clean, good-hearted person that merited a thing. That's grace, that he came to me. And if you can understand that in some way, if you can begin to understand that, believe me, you will have certain assurance. Certain assurance. And that comes through discipleship. You need to be in his word, and you need... People like Paul who will struggle with you and help you grow into understanding that and learning the fullness of Christ in you. And what all that means. Believe me, assurance comes with that. Notice the use of the word treasure here. It's a noun, but he uses it almost like an adjective. He's describing wisdom and knowledge that way. How is wisdom and knowledge seen as treasure? You know, I mean, we, we look at way way different things typically in our world when we talk about treasure but do you see them that way do you see them as treasure and before you just automatically say yes keep in mind the real test of treasure is what it's worth to you what you're willing to give up to get it or what you're willing to fight to hold on to it that's how you determine treasure so what is it really a treasure to you wisdom and knowledge are they really treasures that's the way he describes them um One commentator wrote, knowledge is the apprehension of truth. Wisdom is its application to life. Knowledge is prudent judgment, and wisdom is prudent action. Both are found in Christ. And hidden here, by the way, doesn't mean it can't be found. That's not what it means, okay? In fact, in some ways, it means just the opposite. And I like to use a similar picture here when I try to encourage people to get into the word Um, the same kind of idea, but basically imagine that I swim to the bottom of a lake that, that, you know, I don't know how deep, deep enough you can't see it. I swim to the bottom of the lake and I come back up from that lake with a handful of gold stones, pieces, bricks, little bricks, rocks of gold in my hand. And I hold that up to you. And I, before I go back down, I want you to see, man, there's gold down there, tons of it. It's everywhere. I've seen so much gold down there. What are you likely going to do? I'm showing it to you it's only a tiny piece of it but you see it you're going to jump in you're going to go right after it it's hidden treasure because it's down at the bottom of the lake but I'm making it known to you the only question is when you see that gold in my hand do you consider it to be valuable. All right, But it's not hidden in the sense that you can't find it. It's hidden in the sense that it's out of sight, but I'm showing it to you. And the question is, are you going to dive in? Are you going to swim down? Are you going to come up with some and then show it to others and encourage them? And at the same time, go back for more, as I would be doing. Um, Paul makes great points here. It's not about knowing what God knows either. This is not about knowing what God... Oh, look at the wisdom of God, and I know what God knows. I have the knowledge. No, you don't. It's not about knowing what God knows in that sense. It's about knowing who God is. It's about intimacy. I love how simple Paul makes it here. All this talk about do this, don't do that. Got to keep the Ten Commandments to a T. Got to obey all the laws of the land. You know, never offend anybody. Oh, to do nothing, to do nothing... About a problem is to endorse the problem. You know, judge not all, all these bunch of things that, that just seem to overwhelm on and on. Paul says it's real simple. The mystery is Jesus. Just Jesus. The treasure is knowing Christ. Christ in you. That's it. It's also notable here, by the way, in the text that this is attainable by anybody. Through Christ. Attainable by anybody through Christ. What I mean is that he's telling them they have access to full, full assurance. They have access to full assurance. The treasure of wisdom and knowledge, they have access to it. You know, they don't have to, through Christ they do. Regardless of what their background might look like or what their present situation is. For instance, they don't have to go to a prophet. And ask first. Not then, not now. I don't care who claims to be Mr. Prophet. You don't have to go to him. They don't have to go to a priest. Not then, not now. Sorry, but that's the, that's the text. Listen, they don't have to go to a preacher. Not then, not now. Uh No seminary required. Not then, not now. They don't even have to go to Paul. He's telling them... That that full assurance through Christ is available to anybody. All you need is Christ. That's it. He becomes the talk of your heart, man. That all may be encouraged. That we all may be knit together. Bigger than just us in our little hole in our little spot. With us. In love. All together. Finding assurance. Full assurance of our salvation. Wisdom and knowledge through Christ. That's awesome. Why does all that talk matter? Well, he says, look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail next week. But plausible arguments basically means persuasive speech, Uh smooth tongue, you know. And it's logical, but false. It's the idea that it makes sense, but it's false. Pretty much the world we live in daily, I feel like, and I'm not going to go any farther than that. <laughs> I believe you all have an opinion about what I mean when I say that, but literally, it's in a lot of ways the world we live in. Persuasive speech, logical but false. Um, something sounds good; it makes sense. Kind of like Jesus, you know. Jesus and God can't be the same. The Father and Jesus can't be the same because it's illogical. What's logical is that Jesus is a a God. It says son, right? So he's a God, the son of God, like a demigod in the Greek text, you know, or the Greek belief system. And maybe he still did save the world. Maybe he still did defeat death or whatever. those things, But he did it as little G God, as little son God of big papa, father God. Well, I don't care if that's logical. That's not what the Bible says. You know? Uh, or evolution. You know, not to go way down that road, but a, a theory, evolution... <laughs> is a theory that's so plausible that they don't call it theory on the surface anymore. They teach it in schools and everywhere else, on television, everywhere, in a textbook format as its absolute truth, but they still stamp the word theory on there. But the argument is so plausible that people just ignore that it's a theory and take it to be absolute fact. Um, Smooth talk here. Is another associated word or idea behind what he's saying. Uh, again, one commentary put it this way: the two advanced disciplines of the day there were philosophy and rhetoric. Philosophers sometimes criticize professional speakers for not caring about the truth, and rhetoricians sometimes criticize philosophers for worthless logic. Uh, rhetorical training valued skill in persuasion irrespective of truth or claims of truth. Excuse me. It's almost like these spiritualists and philosophers and public speakers of the day that they were just noise. They didn't actually walk a word they said. They just talk. They talk, talk, talk. They discuss mysteries and all kinds of deep language and huge words. An endless rambling, but they're not really telling you anything at the end of the day because they're not really doing anything. They sound super spiritual with what they're saying, but what are they really saying? And what do they really believe because are they really doing anything they say in the first place? So, you know what, Paul says, we need to guard against that, and the way we do it is with the wisdom and knowledge of Christ. All right, but before we go there, let me ask you, let me ask you, Do we just talk about knowing Christ? Man, yeah, you know, do we just talk about knowing him? Yeah, I know him, I know him, I know that I can show you, I can point you right in the word, I know it, I know it all. Is he only philosophy for us? Is he only theology for us? Is he only spiritualism for us? Is he only an avenue for us to build rhetoric or become a great public speaker around his word or who he is? Or is our talk being expressed by our walk? You understand? Look what he says. Let's go into that. Jesus is our talk. Faith is the walk. You know what I'm saying? Look in verse 5. For though I am absent in the body, physically... Yet I am with you in spirit, just means my heart's with you. It's not anything metaphysical or weird, just means my heart's with you. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Those are like military terms. It just basically means they're ready for battle. Um, again, all part of the body of Christ, that's what he means. Paul was actually with them in that sense. Uh, it makes me wonder, are there people in your life that are bearing the burden with you? Even if they're not close to you, even if they don't live near you, people that you know of that you feel like they help bear your burden. You can make a phone call to them and feel lighter even though they're not right there with you because you know they're, they're – in, in some spiritual sense, they're carrying the weight with you as family. I throw some throw some love to John Richardson. He is a brother to me like that. We talk each week, and even though he's not here, he's in Texas. I'm in Arizona Uh, We were together in Tennessee, but even now, each week when I connect with him, I feel lighter. I feel, as a church planner, like my load is lessened just from talking to him. And it's almost as though he is bearing the burden with me, even though he's not here. Um, And I would argue, if possible, you need those people. You need somebody like that in your life. And then, cool what Paul says here, though, in spite of plausible arguments, these Colossians, they were... In order, he says, they were firm. They were basically ready for battle. But how do you do that? How do you stay that way? Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's the ticket right there. This is how we received him. We're going to continue to walk in him. Notice, by the way, he says received, E.D., past tense, not based on traditions. It's not that they heard something about this. It's not that their parents did this. It's not that they just felt like doing it. No, they were given something. They received a gift. Something was given to them. It's past tense. It's already occurred. I love the way Spurgeon said this. He says, whatever else you've done or have not done, you have received Christ. All right, if you're a believer. He says this, the act of faith was the putting out of your empty hands to receive all the fullness of the Godhead in receiving Christ. There are some precious experiences to which you've not yet attained, some lofty heights to which you have not yet climbed, but you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. That's the distinguishing mark of all true Christians, though you may not all belong to the same denomination Yet without a single exception, this is true concerning you. Whether you're old or young, whether you're well-instructed or ill-taught, whether you are full of faith or are troubled with many doubts and fears, you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Amen. Paul says, as you receive then, so walk. That's true and effective discipleship. You can call yourself a disciple all day long. The question is, if you receive Christ, how so do you walk? Do you walk as you have received him? Notice he said their faith was firm, so therefore walk. Another key point, not by works. He said their faith was firm, so therefore walk. He didn't say walk to make your faith Faith came first. Faith leads the walk. It's not the other way around. Faith was there first, so walk. The walk isn't describing a list of do's or don'ts either. It's describing in him, but described by being in him. You just can't get there. You just can't get there, okay? All of the in Christ here, faith in Christ, you received Christ, walk in Christ, rooted in Christ, built up in Christ. It's not you. It's him in you. And it's a walk. I love the use of that word. It's not a run. It's not a sprint. It's not a race. It's not a stand. It's not a rest. It's not a lay down. It's a walk. One step at a time. Always moving steadily forward. What does walking in him look like though? Practically. That's a pretty heavy question. But it's not not supposed to be. We make it a heavy question. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to, to to walk in him? I bet you'd give me a whole list of do's or a whole list of don'ts. See, We went right back to it again. It's not do's and don'ts. Paul says real clearly, it's a relationship. It's about the person. It's not an effort to do bad or to do good. It's an adoration for a person. It's not effort. It's adoration. How much do you adore him? How much do you love him? Walking in Him is more about connecting with love for Him, okay, connecting with love for Him than it is about our choices and the rewards or the consequences. It's more about connecting with Him at, in love than it is about what we do right or wrong and whether we get punished or rewarded. If our faith is failing and our walk is stopping, uh, the path forward is not to try and work harder, at do's and don'ts the path forward is to seek to foster deep love for him again to get heavily into his word into prayer around brothers and sisters whatever you have to do to grow your love deeper again and know him more look at verse 7 as you have received walk rooted or firm past tense again And built up in him and established in the faith or confirmed. It's basically a a present passive word. It means that you're in a current condition, being established in a current condition that was placed upon you by someone else. Just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Again, rooted is a past tense word. It's something that's already occurred. You have been planted and roots already are into Christ. You've been planted already in Christ, and there's roots already in Christ because you you were planted there. It's occurred to you. You were rooted, built up, established. That's the position that we walk from, not the goal we're trying to get our hands around. From what we have received, you see there, what we have received, what we were taught It's not just some supernatural spiritual uh, miracle moment that turns you into, you know, super disciple. That's not what happened. He's saying you were taught these things, the word of Christ through discipleship. You were taught these things poured into you. Now, Paul didn't do it. Maybe it was Epaphras. We don't know. But but whoever planted and grew that church, Paul is saying that you were taught these things. I love the last piece of it here. He says abounding in thanksgiving. Awesome words it means abounding it means to exist in large quantities so you know many of you guys know but i've been coaching helping coach at a local high school mountain point high school which is a big school big high school a few thousand uh students and uh at one point over three i think but anyway i'm helping coach running backs there for the football team and uh this past week, I had them running sprints. Don't hate me. You don't live here. But it was 116 degrees in the sunshine. These kids are doing it. When I first moved here, I was like, how is that possible? But I've been here a few years, and I see it's possible. I can't do it, but but they can. <laughs> anyway, I had them running sprints in this 116-degree sunshine. And after about 30, 40 minutes of time sprints, and we were pausing for water and all that, uh, these dudes are still going. They're dying, but they just kept pushing. And when they got finished with all that, I kind of challenged them, you know, I said, hey, you know, what about sideline to sideline all the way across? Anybody think they can, you know, got something left in the tank that you can go all the way across? And they did, and I timed it, and one kid made it back in 18 seconds. I could not believe it after all that pushing uh, that he made it back in 18 seconds when he was about to die. But then I, he asked, can we do another one? I can beat it. I was like, what? So we did another one. Sure enough, and by now some of the other kids had dropped, which I didn't make them and push them at this point. But this, uh, this kid again runs, and he drops it to 16 seconds, and then he kind of collapsed, and that was it. But he just kept finding it in himself to push more, to run again. The same energy, he just kept reproducing it to produce more speed. Even once he reached total and complete exhaustion, he's sweating and and wore out, but he just kept finding more. That's what Paul's talking about with thanksgiving here, that we just keep finding it. It abounds. It piles up that you think that you've spent it all, but there's just more, regardless of how much we feel it or don't feel it. Regardless of if it feels, we feel like saying it or don't feel like saying it. Regardless of if things are great or super stressful and super scary. Whatever it is, we just keep finding reason to be thankful. Why is that a big deal? What, what are the practical benefits? Of being that person. Well, if you're abounding in thanksgiving, listen, I'll give you a list. You're not likely to be led astray because, for one, you're not seeking something more or somebody else. What you have is good enough in stuff and in people. Uh, You're not easily discouraged or confused. You're not unhappy with the life that you have. I'm telling you, if you are a aboundingly Thanksgiving Lee, what's the word there? If you abound in Thanksgiving, you are not this, these are problems you will not have. I can tell you as you continue to be that way, you're passionate about who Jesus is to you and telling it to others. You're anxious to serve him every day. You're anxious to get in his word, to spend time with him. Listen. Abounding in thanksgiving will always keep grace in front of you. Always. And in my opinion, constantly being aware of God's grace makes you hold tightly to the riches of the fullness of Christ. And to both talk and walk in Him by faith. That's the ticket right there. Constantly abounding in thankfulness makes you cling on to grace. And the more you hold to grace, the more your talk and your walk line straight up. Straight up. Because your love for him just grows deeper. Not a sense of obligation, a sense of love. So listen, listen. maybe some of you guys, you know, you're hearing this and you're just exhausted with life. Especially right now, I get it. Maybe, maybe you're just exhausted with it. You know, Maybe you've heard all the talk all over the internet, all over the TV. You're just exhausted with plausible arguments and plausible things and, and all of the talk, 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 and who's actually walking what they say and doing what they say and who's not listening to me. If you want to know the truth, the absolute truth, I can tell you for a fact it is a person. It's Jesus Christ. In fact, he made the claim himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying I am the path to the Father because we are the same. And he is the truth. He is the truth. He never lies. And everything he says proves true. And I am begging you today to consider The fact that he loves you, that he did in fact die for you, that the cross was real, that the resurrection happened, and that this same Jesus loves you enough to want to walk every step of your life with you and through you, to guide you and love you and give you infinite mountains of reasons to say thank you. If that's you today, just tell him your own words. I'm not repeating a prayer. Just say what you want. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Like, I need you now. I I, I need the truth. I know the truth about me is that I'm a sinner, that I mess up, that I fail, that I can't keep doing this. I know that. So I need you. I don't care how you say it. Just say it in your own words to him. And then, as always, hit us up. We want to pray for you. Email, text, call, whatever you want to do. I don't care. We want to connect with you, and I don't care where you are in the world if you're seeing this. If you're in the East Valley, I want you to definitely reach out to us because you are direct family uh, from where we sit. If you're already part of the church, if you're already in the family, listen, walk like it. Real simple, walk like it. You know what I mean? Set your heart to love him more deeply every single moment. Every moment. Gather others that are going to struggle with you. And look, develop an abundant amount of thanksgiving in your life, fueled by his grace that saved you. Know what I'm saying? And make disciples with that. Look around you. Make disciples with that. Lord, I love you. You are so amazing, so incredible. Your word is so powerful and so awesome, and I thank you for it. I thank you for the brothers and sisters that maybe uh, have uh, heard this or listened to this, God, that you would pour your spirit into their heart in a heavy and deep way that burdens us all, Lord, that burdens and calls us all to be more full of thanksgiving, that burdens us all to be full of the assurance of you, Christ. I pray, too. That for those who don't know you, Lord, that again, you would open their eyes, call their name, pour your spirit into their life and make them new. Bring around them men, women, a church that will walk with them and help them become disciples that have that full assurance of Christ in them, just as you are in us. We love you, Lord. We ask these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.